You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. All right, everybody. I'm getting us started this week, and I almost want to apologize, but I won't. So we're going to go down into the mesopelagic zone of the ocean. Are we now? Dive deep down. Do I need to put uh, on any equipment? I mean, we'll be in a submarine. It'll be fine. Um, oh, okay. Maybe I love submarines. we wouldn't be able to get down there otherwise. Uh, Are there windows in this submarine? Can we see out? Yes. Perfect. I'm in. Excellent. So this is about 1,600 feet down or 500 meters. Uh, it's dark. The pressure in the pressure outside in the water is super immense. But out of the darkness, you see something. We're looking out okay. that window. It's this small light that seems a couple small lights that seem to be coming towards our submarine. Creepy. Right. And oh, okay, but because everything watch, at this depth, right. at this depth, like there, there is no light. There's no light right? at this depth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but as you watch this light, it seems to be a red color, which is strange hmm. because red is not a wavelength that reaches down. It's a really low wavelength of light. So it gets absorbed pretty quickly in the water. Right. So it's weird that you're seeing a red light down here. The light comes closer and you see that it's from this fish. And it has like a form of bioluminescence that's emitting this light. So it's a organ that's emitting this light from this fish. Okay. And it's emitting red light. And as you're watching this fish come in, you notice that it has this really blunt snout um, and is a little bit long. You see this other fish swim by and this red light emitting fish, it sees the fish. And its jaw seems to unhinge and snap forward. The lower jaw doesn't even seem to be connected to the mouth of this fish. That's terrifying. How, how, How far are we talking here? Well, I want you to look at, I sent both of you a YouTube link. And I want you okay. to watch a little bit of this so you can get an idea of what this fish looks like. Okay, should okay. I press play okay. now? Go well, ahead pro- and press play. Now, this fish is about a foot long. Okay, it's kind of long and uh, skinny. Oh, those skinny. are a lot of really sharp teeth. Now we're in the... Yeah. So this is a about a foot long fish and it's called a stoplight loose jaw. It's a type of dragonfish. There's two species. Okay. Wow. Uh The legs, to to, to sort of describe them to people, like, the jaws look like, uh, uh, like grasshopper legs, like hinged legs. Exactly. It's like you have an, it's like the elbows sticking back are part of the jaw. 
almost. Right. And then lots they, of oh. needle sharp teeth looking very scary. Exactly. But like the upper jaw, the, like it's not just on the bottom, like the upper, what I would consider the upper jaw is also like hinged at the eye. Yes. So it's like the the entire upper jaw can like shoot forward like almost like the thigh of a, a like a grasshopper leg. Exactly. That this reminds is me of the, bizarre. the alien. <laughs> and also the the alien, right? Yeah, yeah, in the in the alien movies. Right. <laughs> and also so, it reminds me of um of actually dragonfly nymphs. Mm-hmm. You've ever sure, seen yep. uh images of them grabbing food. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the fish itself, I'm looking at some footage you sent us of it swimming around. To me, it almost looks like a like a snake underwater. Mm-hmm. It reminds me much more of a snake than a than a fish. So this particular fish, it's a dragonfish. So it's actually a little bizarre because they do have those large binocular eyes. So they have two eyes facing forward, which gives them really good vision. Um, and then they have right below that they have a single round nostril which goes from one eye, one underneath one eye through the other um kind of above that jaw and then behind that that open spot that you were seeing it has those photophores which is a type of gland organ that emits the light uh and the light it emits is red when you were first talking about you know the the light i was picturing maybe like an angler fish or something that i think a lot of us are familiar with but like that's this what i is, was trying for this is like on its like on its face it's like a yes yeah like a colored yes. spot under the eye right okay yes it's not like an angler fish it's red underneath the eye and then actually there's another photophore right behind that that emits green light which is why it's called a stoplight loose jaw because it looks like a stoplight. Wow. That is so cool. It's super cool. And not only does it emit that red light, what makes it super strange is because the red light that we talked about is such a low wavelength and it doesn't reach this part, no other fish are able to perceive that red light, which means that what? it looks black to all of the other fish and potential prey. So it allows light, this fish, the loose jaw fish, to be able to see around it. And all of its prey thinks that it's invisible, but it's not. Because okay. Wow, so it's like its own private it. dark room. Exactly. So are you saying that the, the other crazy. species that live at that, live at that depth don't have the ability to see red because it's not of use to them? Yes. That kind of the idea? Wow. Yeah. It's not of use that to them at all. That ability is evolved away. Mm-hmm. Is it, so it's actually bright enough that they can use it to illuminate their prey? Yes. Uh, they can. Wow. It's not very far in front of them, obviously. Sure, sure. But it is bright enough that they're able to use it to help them hunt for prey. Um, now, going on to their jaw, they do have one of the widest gapes of any fish and they their lower jaw like elongated is about 25 percent of the fish's length so generally speaking they're about a foot long so when, that's going to ask when you say longest like four inches longest gape that is that relative to body size that's relative to body okay. size yes um and not only can what happens is it can open its jaw more than 120 degrees 
And because it's open like those grasshopper legs and doesn't have any um, like skin attaching it, it's actually able to reduce that water resistance to a snap shut super quickly. Um, the only way that the lower jaw is attached is by the hinge and a modified tongue bone. Hold on. Wait, wait, say Full that again. Stop. When I'm looking at these pictures, I'm trying to understand. Is, are you saying that, like, the jaw flies out, there's no skin or anything, like, behind that? No. Like, it's there's just tongue. totally open. It's open to the water. So they grab wait. their prey... And then they pull it in and pull it kind of closes back up. And then it's going to sort of go down the. Yeah, it uses its barbed oh, teeth man. to move it what? down into its throat. Now, this is when I tell you that this skin or this fish rather is black. It doesn't have any scales. It has a thin skin. It mainly eats zooplankton. It seems like a waste. Right? What? It also mostly eats copepods, which are small crustaceans. Yeah. Which, to emit the light that they do, they actually are u- utilizing chlorophyll derivatives from the copepods to emit the light in their photophores. Whoa. So you they happen, collect it. Do you and, happen to know, can yeah. they... Sorry. Do you no, happen to good. know, can they, can they see... Can, they see the red of, I suppose, I know they can see that this red color. So is there yeah. any, is it ever used for like communication between individuals of that species? Like to That's find each really other and stuff? That's a really good question. I would, I was, ha- I would hazard to say yes, but they're not super well studied. So gotcha. they're so deep down that it's a little harder to, um, I, I think there's only been like 400 i mean it sounds like a lot but there's only been about 450 seen ever uh and not necessarily next to each other you know i'm just with this amazing ability to like catch Mm -hmm. things the fact that they're only eating like zooplankton and copepods really strange they do also also eat keep mind they have a giant hole in their throat (laughs) yeah i suppose shrimp can get fairly large though yeah, so they can also eat krill, shrimp, and fish, uh, but sure. those are less part of its diet than the copepods and zooplankton. That is wild. I, this is an animal that I had not heard of, and I, 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 yeah. I love learning new stuff. I think that's why people listen to the show, is because they love learning new stuff, and uh-huh. I, love to be, I love to be amazed along with the, uh, the, the listeners. Yeah, so it, it was just so bizarre. I saw a picture of this fish, and I'm like, I'm sorry. What is that horrific nightmare of a fish? I need to know. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I've got for you today. So up next, we have Victoria. Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, and... I am going to talk to you today about 
cancer. Oh, great. We're going to really that. bring things up here, huh? Mm -hmm. Take it up a notch. Love now, that. cancer is a troubling disease and a very serious one often. Um, and scientists, scientists are learning more and more about different types of cancer as, as the decades go by. Mm -hmm. um, and most of us, you know, worry about getting it. But what if you could get cancer just by coming into contact with someone else who has it? Well, that's just another worry I didn't know I had. I, I mean, I, is it the the cancer itself that is transmissible or is it like a virus that's, I mean, you have like HPV, which is. Great question, Quirk. Kirk, Quirk. Wait, wait. Who, hold on. <laughs> who is who is this host Quirk on the show? Is he Who's here? Quirk. Quirk. Are you here? Quirk. I mean, we do say that. I'm, I'm, the new nickname is born. Wow. No, it's not. I, I've already been called the banana slasher. I don't apparently now. <laughs> For those people who listen to that episode, uh, I don't know if we need to add Quirk to the. Uh, You're the a list. quirky banana slasher. Wow. When I was trying to force out of my mouth was great question kirk uh so there are viruses that cause cancer like uh human papillomavirus causes cervical cancer uh, kaposi's sarcoma related herpes virus is something that often afflicts people with aids um which is a kind of a, a kind of a skin cancer okay. hepatitis b and c can cause liver cancer and a few others this is not what i'm talking about we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go down a different path here um, there are also rare cases where uh, a person has gotten cancer from an organ transplant. Sure, I was, I was just thinking of that. Cancer. Oh, yeah. That's like very rare. Yeah, they scan those But this is literally well. where someone's cancer cell gets into your body and causes the same cancer. I do not like a, that. A cloned cancer. No, a transmissible cancer. Let's not. Luckily, luckily. This does not occur in humans. Yay! Oh, okay. Cool. At least yet. Oh, tell. Uh, why? <laughs> I already have a she high enough She lifts us risk. up and then just like throws the word why and or, or yet in there just to like, right? you know, This is like getting slam dunked in the face. Yeah. They are present in some other species. Not very many. So some types of clams, they think. Syrian hamsters, dogs, and Tasmanian devils. Oh. Yeah. I so did not know this. Not a whole lot is known about the tumors in the hamsters and the clams, so I'm not going to talk about them too much. The canine one is canine transmissible venereal tumor, so it is a sexually mm. transmitted cancer. Lovely. Um, I've seen some pictures of this. It's pretty gross. Oh. Um. You are a brave soul for that, looking at those. I, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for not sending us a photo. <laughs> I did send you a photo of something else. Okay. We'll get yeah, to why that. would thank, you? I appreciate the venereal tumor uh, not being emailed to my that. account. I, I considered it, but uh, it, was a, it was a copyrighted photo, and I want to be able to share photos with our, our listeners gotcha. on uh, social media. So. They'll just have to Google that one in their own free time. Yep. <laughs> so, based on genetic analysis, the, the canine one is thought to have originated more than 10,000 years ago. 
although the current form of the tutor, tumor is actually between 500 and 2,500 years old. And there's some different theories. They think maybe it was associated with domestication in North American dogs pre-contact or maybe with coyote genes mixing with domesticated dogs. At any rate, uh, it's passed during sexual contact. It doesn't usually metastasize. It's treatable with chemotherapy. So if your dog comes down with this, they're probably not going to die of it as long as you can get them to a vet. Now, what I really want to talk about is Tasmanian devils. Are we talking like Looney Tunes have. or the real ones? Well, yeah, so real real ones, <laughs> believe it or not. It's all, this is a cartoon cancer is the only place. <laughs> so the only thing most people know about Tasmanian devils is that there is a Looney Tunes ca character called that. But they are, in fact, a real animal. Uh, they are a carnivorous marsupial native to Australia. Um, they used to be on the mainland, but currently they only live in the island of Tasmania, which is to the south of mainland Australia. They're about the size of a small dog. Males will weigh about eight kilograms, uh, females six kilograms, so that's 18 to 13 pounds. Okay. They're fairly stocky. They're muscular. They have black fur with white patches on the chest or the rump. They have a pointy nose uh, and long whiskers and sharp teeth. I think they kind of look a little bit like an R.O.U.S. from the Princess Bride. <laughs> oh, right. yeah, they do. Yeah. But with, nice. like, black fur, yeah. Yes. They're the largest carnivorous marsupial um, since the extinction of the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger in 1936. And they have one of the strongest bites per unit mass of any land carnivore. So there are your Tasmanian devil facts. Gotcha. They have uh, an extremely voracious appetite which is, I think, where the, uh, the Looney Tunes character kind of got some of his, his characteristics. That's fair. But this disease uh, is called devil facial tumor disease, and it was first discovered in 1996. There was this photographer who took pictures of several devils, and they had these disfiguring facial tumors. And I'm now going to send this email to you. I think I did send it to you, okay, so you can we'll go, open that I'll up look now. Here. Nope. Yep. Uh, Victoria... I've opened the email with the picture oh, that you sent. Oh, man. This is horrifying. This looks awful. Like, I wouldn't I wish this on my worst enemy. This, I'll, this I'm going to do my see. best. I'm going to do best to describe this. First of all, it looks like someone punched uh, this Tasmanian uh And, like, burst the, the eyeball. Well, I meant over on the one side. Like, he got punched yeah. in the face. And it was like a big, like, swollen jaw. And then the other side, there is no eyeball that i can see there's just a big it's giant over it. uh sort of bloody looking it looks like it got burned like like this is an animal that was like in a forest fire and got its part of its face burned off yeah that's a pretty that's, accurate description that's horrifying yeah, i hate that really it's so really this awful is, this is contagious basically then yeah so i forgot that it was contagious oh my god this was first identified as a transmissible cancer about 10 years after it was discovered in 2006. Uh, Anne-Marie Pierce and colleagues, they were looking at cancer cells from a bunch of different devils from different locations. And they figured out that the cancer, each cancer cell was a genetically identical clone, but also distinct genetically from the devil that they took it from who was sick. So the conclusion they came to was that there was one original devil who was the source of the cancer, and then it just started spreading 
So part of the reason that this is happening, yeah, it's really awful. So devils are quite aggressive animals with each other. And so it's past when they bite or scratch each other. This is a very frequent occurrence. They have communal meal sites where where, where big animals killed. Um, They also scavenge uh, carrion. Pretty heavy, yeah. They bite each other a lot at these communal eating sites, and they also bite each other when they mate on the face. Like you do. Why not? Why not? Of course. Yeah, so as soon as that bite happens, either direction, like it can pass between the two devils, and the tumors metastasize quickly, and they usually will kill within six months, either through starvation or asphyxiation, because it just swells up their face so much. Do you know, is that, um, when you say biting, uh, is like, is it, is it bloodborne essentially? Like it's in, it in the blood or is it, no, yeah, or like is it like a, a literally skin? cells from anywhere the tumor is on their face or their jaw. Uh, or I guess. Their so, so they're, 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 they're biting the mm-hmm. tumor itself. Okay. I got you. Okay. No effective treatment has been found. And Aww. when it gets into a population of devils, it has caused 90 to 100% mortality. Oh. So the species as a whole has declined 80% since 1996. I have not heard this. I I think I have, uh, like, briefly. But, Victoria, this just gets worse and worse. Is there any bright side to this? Well, we're getting there. There's a little bit of a bright side. So, first of all, humans are trying to help. They've tried to isolate and quarantine unaffected populations. And they've established a couple of insurance populations of disease-free devils on two small islands. And they obviously very strictly regulate access to those. And they've also established or reestablished some populations in New South Wales on the mainland of Australia, which is former devil territory. So they have some, and they're trying to make those um, groups as genetically diverse as possible so that they don't have, have issues with that later. Um, mm-hmm. So the devils themselves has all, have also responded somewhat. So due to their drastically decreased life expectancy, uh, instead of breeding at age two, they now breed at age one. And, and basically, mostly, they can only breed once and then they die on average. Mm. But there's also starting to be some evidence that some devils may be evolving some resistance to the disease. Yay! Yeah. Amazing. And the other bit of good news I have for you is that this is very unlikely to happen in people. <laughs> Okay. Are you cool. saying because we're not zombies who bite each other all the time? or? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big reason. So uh, We don't tend to bite other people's visible tumors yet. Yeah. That, that Especially that. It's going to help. So biologists have um, come up with what they think are kind of four criteria or key factors that would lead to this sort of perfect storm of um, this kind of cancer getting into a population. So... There would need to be a way for the cancer to be transmitted between people. So in this case, it's the biting behavior. The cancer cell would be able need to be able to survive that transition. Um, and then the immune system of the devils is kind of unique. And so uh, that's part of the reason it's sort of too complicated to go into slash. I don't totally understand it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> their immune system has something to do with why this has taken hold. And also the tumor itself has to be able to kind of evade attack by the immune system. 
So all four of those okay. things happened with this tumor, but it's pretty unlikely that it's going to happen in humans or very often in other animals. So well, that that's nice. We got yeah. that going for us. Yeah, that, that is a positive thing. I, I like that. So don't stay up at night too much thinking about this. I don't know why, I, but I feel a little guilty. Always... I feel a little guilty about sending that photo out onto social media. Yeah, I think we might need to do a warning or something beforehand. <laughs> Victoria, I don't know why, but you're... Well, actually, I do know why. But your stories always just either make me very sad or very... Odd? Scared? One of the... Disgusted? You do a good job. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. I'm like, That's a is this a compliment? compliment? Where are we going with this? We're going to go with the compliment, yes. I'm going to take that as a compliment. All right, and now it's time for a break. When we come back, it'll be time for a break. Well, it's going to be hard to top those. Uh, I'm going to take things in a different direction, uh, uh, thankfully. You know, I've, I'm always interested in interesting and strange facts. And those of you who follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook have likely seen that several times a week, uh, we like to post up interesting nature facts complete with a cool photo and hint, hint. They are oh so easy and ready to share or retweet in a way uh, to support like your favorite new podcast and let people know, know about us. So thanks for sharing those. This week, I'm going to focus in on one of the images we put up on social media Ooh. recently because it was fun. Um, but also because they're lacking in context. You know, you can only say so much in five to eight words. Uh, and so this one in question uh, is on one of my favorite natural history topics, which is outer space. Uh, I love space because it's so strange and literally often otherworldly. Uh, and it challenges us to think differently about what is possible. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, think about what's possible and even like what is our place in the universe? Uh, some of these big, grand ideas. Um, this fact uh, is not so grand. Uh, it was simply as follows. Comets smell like cat urine. What? Oh, man. So okay. that was one of the facts we put out there with no context around it. So I want to, I thought, okay, this is great. It's so bizarre. I love it. It gets people's attention. Comets are beautiful and majestic. Did either of you two get a chance to see Comet Neowise last year when it was out? Alas, no. I don't think I did. I definitely tried to see a comet. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of one of those things to do during the pandemic to go out and see the, you know, try to see this comet. It was really beautiful and really great. I got to take some photos and things of it. It was a great distraction. Um, but it, it too, uh, you know, likely smelled like cat urine and a bunch of other gross smells. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Like, how do we know this? Uh, my first thought upon hearing this fact was that astronomers had probably used spectroscopy to look at the light of a comet and see what gases were present. And when I kind of did a dive on the research, I found out, yeah, that's exactly what they did. But they didn't do it from Earth. Uh, some of the best data we have on this comes from a mission called Rosetta, which was a space probe launched by the European Space Agency. So woo-woo, way to go for our European listeners. Uh, it yeah. was the first, the first probe to ever orbit a comet. Uh, this was back in 2014. Okay, so I do remember this, yeah. Yeah, it got to visit a comet, and Rosetta orbited around it, and, uh, oh boy, because 
This is a comet with a very hard to pronounce name for an English speaker. So most people just call it Comet 67P. I am now going to attempt to pronounce this just <laughs> one time with apologies to any Russian speaking listeners of the podcast. Well, I so, will be no wiser because I don't speak Russian. That's right. So um, I'm ready to judge. I believe the name of this comet is something like Cherlumov Glasimilka. Something like that. Pretty good. Um, sounds convincing to me. It's close. We're going to call it 67P. So when the comet approached the sun, uh, it started to sublimate from solid to gas, which is what comets do when they warm up. And the spectrometers on board uh, Rosetta were able to detect all kinds of interesting gases. Much of it was oxygen and carbon dioxide, but of interest to us today were the more smelly bits. Excellent. Rosetta detected hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, and hydrogen cyanide. Let's see, rotten eggs. So, Yep. Let's see, yeah, if you know anything about those, you already know, like, what's coming with some of this. Ammonia, um, that's urine. Yeah. yeah, so first off, we have hydrogen sulfide. And as Victoria nailed it, that's the smell of rotten eggs. Uh, it's also the smell that's added to odorless natural gas, so you know if you have a gas leak in your house. Uh, so I think we're all pr pretty familiar with that really nasty rotten egg smell. The second gas was ammonia, which, spot on, that's what gives it the urine smell. Um, it doesn't have to be cat urine, but I guess cat urine sort of tends to be extra smelly. So we're just going to go with that. Uh, at this point, I should also point out, if you mix hydrogen sulfide and ammonia, you have the exact smell present in farts. <laughs> in fact, like if you go out and buy like artificial fart spray, spray, it is hydrogen sulfide and ammonia so, like that's basically the smells you're getting all right so this comet smelled like <laughs> rotten egged fart yeah uh you could also say comet smell like enormous farts that's Ooh. correct really big now the third it's an the egg third fart. gas you said hydrogen yeah, cyanide the third hydrogen cyanide right which is smells sort of like bitter almonds i was gonna say so just go like cy yeah cyanide's in the in the Center of peach pits and almonds. Yeah. So go ahead and throw that smell into the mix. And now that would be bad enough, but there are other smells as well. Those are kind of the three like big stinky ones, but Rosetta also detected, uh, though in smaller concentrations, sulfur dioxide and formaldehyde. Oh. So go that... ahead and add a s sulfur smell and formaldehyde, which you might be familiar like. with from like, yeah, yeah. If you did like, dissection in high school or something like that that's a smell um, it you basically have like, like the whole, worst it permeates like a whole yeah. wing of a school mm -hmm. you basically have like the worst smelling fart ever if you mix all these together <laughs> now i will say also detected in trace amount was menthol so maybe like a minty, minty vicks vapo rubby kind of smell in there i'm I'm not really sure if that hurts or helps the situation. Maybe it makes everything now, a little sharper. Yeah, and I should point out, uh, should you find yourself in space near a comet and you want to test this out for yourself, you do have a bit of a problem in that you cannot remove your <laughs> helmet, take a big sniff, as you would die. Uh, scientists you. studying the comet, yeah, it's don't take your space helmet off, kids. It's not good. Uh, scientists studying the comet did point out, though, that it would be hard to smell these things anyhow, if you, even if you somehow could take off your helmet and survive, as the particles are very diffuse and very quickly diffuse out into the vacuum of space. So the smell would be 
very faint if you were actually at the comet. But all those smells are there. So I just thought that was really fascinating. It's a lot of really interesting organic compounds. Well, exactly. And that's part of why we want to study comets is that we have found out there are a lot of organic compounds. And some of the speculation about did life arise on Earth because of bombardment by comets, which had a lot of these complex you know, compounds and things in them. So uh, really fascinating. Yeah, I'm uh, intrigued. It's what I have. What I have for it this week was, you know, fart, farty comets, uh, <laughs> which just goes to show <laughs> comets are silent but deadly. <laughs> Oh, that was terrible. There it is. <laughs> and with that, folks, we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.